0: Does money buy happiness? No. Money, money buys more money. Startup investing, a game of skill or a game of chance? Game of chance. To, okay, can you tell me some of his lesser-known traits which made him successful? I think I can
1: smell money. I'm... I'm being honest.
0: We have something brand new for you today. Last weekend, we filmed in front of a live audience at the Quorum Gurgaon. We had over a hundred people and they were all there to hear from one of the disruptors of modern India, Mr. Ashish Mopatra. Today, we celebrate actors and athletes who put India in positions of pride, as we should. But entrepreneurs who risk everything in their lives to solve our societal problems are the unsung heroes who need to be celebrated. Many of you would know Ashish as the twin unicorn founder of Off Business and Oxizo. Off Business is not only one of India's few profitable unicorns, but also one of three startups with profit after tax of more than $100 million, all within a decade. Coming from humble origins in Orissa, Ashish truly embodies what it means to be an entrepreneur. To my mind, an entrepreneur is anyone who satisfies two critical conditions. Number one, they have to have the eternal belief that the future will be better than the past. And number two, they forge their will for upward mobility into existence with sheer perseverance. We get to know Ashish the person, the entrepreneur, and the billionaire. Enjoy this brand new episode of First Unicorn Chats. Ashish, how are you doing?
1: Uh, Doing well. Hey, thanks for making it on a Saturday. I just can't believe it that there are so many people around, so yeah. (laughs) It was a working day for me, so very convenient to just come from the office, which is um, about 3 kilometers or three maybe 4km. Yeah, thanks for coming in.
0: So, when I do these conversations, right, I try to figure out that uh, who is this person, right? And I found that uh, the best way to know a person is to try to find out their secrets, right? right? So, in preparation for this conversation, I focused myself, I got to the office. I open my laptop and like any millennial I asked ChatGPT. Uh, okay. Tell me some of Ashish Mopatra's secrets. Okay. What do you think ChatGPT said to me? Uh, there are no secrets. All right. Can we can we see what what ChatGPT actually said? ChatGPT said, "I'm sorry, I cannot tell you Ashish's secrets. He's a respected entrepreneur and a public figure and I do not want to invade his privacy." So clearly is uh, teaching ChatGPT ethics. Are you impressed by that?
1: Yeah, very much.
0: All right. So I had to reframe my question. And I reframe my question to okay. Can you tell me some of his lesser known traits which made him successful? Okay, and it uh, go back, go back. Uh, it gave me three uh, three of your traits. I want to ask you, what do you think the first one is?
1: Lesser known traits. I think uh, um, I have a good memory. Maybe, yeah, good memory. Um, second is I think I can smell money. I. I'm being honest. Um, I think uh, I'm a good, uh, good sales guy.
0: Okay. Let's okay. see. Let's see what uh, ChatGPT said. The first one. But how
1: would ChatGPT know that? It says that you're a
0: lifelong learner and uh, you who constantly updates your skills and you've studied over books of over a thousand companies and you read a lot. So that's true, right? I used to. Fair enough. Till I start the, yeah. Okay. What's the second one you said?
1: I said a sales guy.
0: Okay. The second one. Let's see. It says that you are resilient, resilient and persistent in the face of rejections and got 73 rejections from investors in 6 months. Firstly, is that true?
1: Well, to be very honest with you, it, um, the first time a question was posed to me, I said something like 50ish. So the guy who was writing it down didn't want to write 50ish, it didn't sound <laughs> right. So he said 55. But the next guy who saw 55, the 55 sounds like a soap bar, right? So it became 60. Okay. And the next time I was asked, is it 60-ish, I, I already knew there was 60 in there, right? <laughs> so I think it's more than 50. So yeah, it just kind of got extended. So this 70 plus, I think is a, it has the number 7 in it. So
0: Okay, yeah. that's close enough, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, what's the third one? Is it sales guy?
1: Sales guy, I think I said a good memory.
0: Okay. Maybe this one, we know why you couldn't say this, because you are humble. So GPT says that you are, you're very humble, uh, you have an egalitarian leadership style. But what actually, I don't, I definitely believe that uh, the part I have a harder time believing is you don't have a fixed, fixed seat in the office. You don't have a parking space, you travel economy and you share hotel rooms.
1: Uh, I don't have a secretary. I've never had a secretary, even when I had the option of uh, having one while I was working in a corporate. Uh, don't have a driver at home. Uh, so Why like that? I drove myself. Why is that though? I just think that, you know, it just keeps you very grounded. Frankly, a lot of these uh, comforts actually uh, push you away from building things which are more necessities. So, um, if you are into using a lot of those necessities, you will probably build more necessary products and services. That's how I think.
0: Well, fair enough. But what about, let's say, opportunity cost of time? So, if you're spending time driving... I extend eight.
1: hours. Like, you can't figure it out. I didn't sleep last night. So really? I, I, can, I can really extend hours.
0: Now, if you feel a little bit zonky, now people know why. <laughs> So those are all the questions that we had from ChatGPT, right? Uh, but we'll begin with uh, getting to know a little bit more about you. Right? Uh, you've been somebody who's always set very audacious goals for yourself, right? And like the hundred million pad, I actually set it two years back. Yeah, and that when at the time that you set a goal like that, it would seem like a moonshot, right? To go to the moon. But I think now there's enough. Uh, data for the public to see that you're not just somebody who says Ki pe hai, but you're actually like the Apollo missions you're actually able to break it down into smaller missions right right I want to know a little bit about you know uh, your your background your humble origins that actually build this mindset that I know I have to achieve big but I also understand I need to break it down into small parts
1: see frankly um, I actually um, spent my very early years in IIT Kharagpur, my both my parents were academics my mother was a professor in physics and uh, my father was a agriculture scientist. And they were both doing their PhD. So, I was in Kharagpur. And what happened is, um, this is like um, mid-80s. okay. Um, so, when I was in Kharagpur, the kind of stuff that they used to talk about while at Kharagpur used to be like really, really big. Kharagpur then had a bilateral um, relationship with Russia. So, Russia then obviously was one of the biggest superpowers right in the middle of the cold war i mean towards the fag end of the cold war used to really fund kharagpur so they used to talk about really really big things right and through that i think i got exposed to different kinds of things that you know a normal kid won't because frankly what used to happen is my parents used to go to uh, study or do their research and stuff like that and they used to leave me in either a library or with somebody and I, I used to hear people talk and uh, as a small kid I got enthused by it. But then suddenly what happened is after that we went back to my small town which is Katak because my father went back to his institute, my mother went back to teaching and suddenly Katak was very different from khadakpur I wanted that khadakpur uh, and then it was a really fledgling uh, institute um, to be rebuilt around me in Katak but it just wasn't possible. And then somebody told me that, you know what? you can actually rebuild it by taking baby steps so that's how it started S- thinking about saying okay how do i uh, you know get that kind of knowledge so i started going to a library next door there i started picking up stuff and stuff like that it was always baby steps one by one by one and once once i completed the first step i re- i realized that you know the second step is a lot more easier and stuff like that so so nothing by design but that's where i come from right. but the sto- story didn't end there i mean i think uh, this is when i was like 10 11 or so so what happened after that is, uh, you know, um, I used to go to a um, a very simple kind of a school because it was closer home. And then I realized that uh, one of my friends used to actually, you know, we used to take tiffins from home. And one of my friends actually used to get these huge tiffin boxes delivered to him over lunch. Okay, huge tiffin boxes. And there used to be two people carrying that and all that. And they had really tasty food, right? And I used to always go and share with him. He was uh, generous enough. Then I went and told my mom, mom, why don't you do this for me? She said, oh, look, bade log <laughs> Then I got fascinated with the fact as to what is this bloody bade log thing. Because I really wanted those stiffen boxes delivered. So I went and broke it down. Okay, and this I, I'm, I'm probably around 11-ish. Okay, 11, 12, whatever. So uh, I broke it down into saying that if you have to be a bade log, then there has to be these 7, 8 things in life. Okay. Okay. And the foremost amongst them, that was money. That you really need to have money. Second was, you need to be interesting. Third is, you need to have an active hobby and stuff like that, right? So, at some point in time, I used to have more than 12 hobbies. Actually, at the peak, I had 15. Stamp collection, coin collection, postcard collection, <laughs> sketching, uh, all that stuff. Just to become a badello, so that those stiffen carriers used to uh, can get delivered. And, uh, uh, yeah, uh, uh, it didn't stop there, by the way. Yeah. Um, so, the first thing was obviously to uh, make money, right? So, during those days, and I'm talking about now, 93, 94, chit funds or micro-investments were actually legal, right? And they were looking for good sales, guys. Uh, I realized that if you could actually sell these micro-investments to retail investors like, uh, I, I would say, a SEC class lower than the people sitting out here, You could really make a ton of money. So, that's how I got introduced to business. I became a sales guy when I was in class 8, 9, gravitating from 8 to 9. And yeah, so those are my origins, yes.
0: You know, uh, I was actually going to get into the topic of money a little bit later in this conversation. But now that you brought it up, I have a very pointed question, right? Right. Uh, And only somebody who's been in this position of, you know, coming from humble means and then having quite a lot of it can actually answer this. Does money buy happiness? No. Money, money buys more money. <laughs> Which in turn
1: will buy more money. It's a never ending cycle. Once you've got into that, it's just, it's so intoxicating. Like, right. I, like I was telling you that two years back, uh, our goal was 100 million. Right. Now the goal has moved to 300 million. Uh, of Pat. I mean, it takes some doing to do it at that scale. But it just, you know, it's a never ending race.
0: Right. Yeah. So,
1: money uh, buys nothing else.
0: There's a... Jim Carrey the actor, he had actually said this once that I wish everybody could get rich and famous and have everything they ever wanted so that they would know that that's not the answer. Yeah. So, it's a... But it's once a,
1: you, you will never realize that. See, when you're telling me this, okay, it sounds true to me. But when I want to practice it, it just won't happen. Because I'm in that, you know, in the race. Yeah.
0: Just related to that, while we're on this topic of money, uh, did you find any of your relationships change, changing after you became successful or after you had money
1: no i think i think what changed is uh, because you are in the pursuit of you know money making to be very honest what happens is you kind of give away old relationships much faster mm-hmm. because you are always so forward looking you future ki, p- gaya, that, it mm-hmm. always happens like that i think i have i have great friends right now but I'm pretty sure that if I move on to a new place in another three years or so, all these guys would be dumped uh, and they would dump me as well, right? So it's vice right. versa. So uh, I think that has happened because you are always looking ahead uh, okay, in life.
0: I'll just follow up on that, right? So let's say you've, you've been in bigger institutions where I'm sure you made friends all over, right? Whether that was at… Um, that IIT or at… Uh, I have a friend sitting out here. Oh, he went to school, uh, B school with me. Vivek. I think we should ask him, right, Whether you've changed or not. But I'll, i do that. I he wouldn't
1: talk. know what he's, uh, what I'm talking about right now. I'm a very different personality than what he would know oh, really? about me at campus. Because then, then I was just a nerd. I just wanted to ace exams. Is oh. that right? Yeah. That's so true. I,
0: is that true? Did you, did you get his notes uh, before? He I, I used
1: to be a good teacher. I mean, it was a one-year uh, MBA, ISB. Correct. Did you share so, notes? Uh, you yeah, it? I used to share notes, but more than that, see, I used to be this uh, union. I, I had, I had a bit of a union leadership background. So I actually used to take evening classes right. uh, uh, for people who could get me uh, good stuff to eat and, uh, and some gifts. And then I used to teach them.
0: There's always a transaction involved, yeah, right? There's always a
1: transaction <laughs> involved, yeah. yeah Nothing's so for free. But, My
0: last question on this topic of, uh, of money, right. Um, you are technically now a billionaire, right? How, have you kind of reconciled with that tag? How do you...
1: How well, does do Life doesn't, doesn't change. Oh, you, life doesn't change. Yeah, technically I am, but frankly it doesn't matter to you. I mean, because the treadmill just, you know, uh, gets faster right. and the incline just gets harder right. and you just have to run a lot more.
0: Fair enough. I'm going to change tracks from uh, talking about the outcome which is uh, Ashish Mopatra to the process that was Mr. Ashish Mopatra. Uh, you've been known to conduct a lot of these little experiments, even yeah. uh, even at work, right? Yeah. Um, and you double down on what's working and then you shut down very quickly what doesn't work. Yeah. I want to hear about the experiment which led to Off Business and Oxiso.
1: See, very frankly, um, what was happening is that around, I would say, late 2014, I actually started seeing a lot of, um, lot of activity around the B2B world. Particularly companies were getting started in uh, financing, in commerce, in logistics, around the SME world, right? Um, Hitherto uh, neglected world because mostly stuff used to exist for either corporates or for retail. And then what happened is I said, okay, this is the space that I come from because I have traded between a few as a kid. I used to sell some physical coal and stuff like that when I made good money from selling those micro investments. So I had traded between a few as a kid. I had run one. I had run an SME in one of my corporate streams because that was one of the roles that was given to me. I had invested in few as a venture capitalist. I said, okay, this is the world that I come from. If I look at the guys who are coming and presenting to us as prospective investees, I used to think that these guys are chumps. Like they hardly know it. They can't even talk the language because if you are a SME guy or you are a guy on the street and you are talking in Hindi, you have to talk taka, bata, uh, you know, rupiah, okay, uh, rin, nivesh, so, they used to not even talk the language. And I was thinking, eh, what chum they are. This is what, I mean, they don't know the world that they come from. So, I actually jumped without an idea. I said, okay, I will do something for the SMEs. I don't know what. Um, but I had made my money, right. Uh, yeah. And I had made a, you know, decent amount of, I would say, um, um, asset base, which could have taken care of, like let's say, a couple of decades. So, I just jumped and then I figured it out. The, um, the way I figured it out is I said, okay, let me break the problem into saying, what do I need? So I, in my mind, I needed three or four things. But the first thing that I needed was great people. So I started with a very good team. I can tell you, uh, I've been a good um, student of um, all startups that have started in India. Coming out straight from the blocks, we are the best team ever just in terms of profiles.
0: Yeah, uh, I believe that. I think uh, even Avnish uh, from Matrix had actually come out on record and said that uh, you guys started off with the best team that he had ever seen. Yeah,
1: by a distance. I mean, uh, the first 15 guys who started, um, out of them, we still have 12. They are all CXOs, all worth at least 100 crores. Oh, wow. And the three who've left are, um, two of them are uh, founders. Okay. And uh, one is a founder of a $3 billion company. Great. And the third guy actually went off to the US and he started something out there as well. Which is, uh, I think that startup is worth 300000000 million.
0: I'm lost for words. That's, <laughs> that's why I'm at this point. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, uh, if you execute, you have to execute to a high bar. Right? And I was 35. I was on the right side of 30. I knew Great. enough people. So that helped.
0: How much did your uh, journey as a, as a VC investor actually help with, uh, with what you started to build?
1: Actually, you know, it seems like it helped, but frankly, it did not help at all. Because most of the VCs who knew me, okay, uh, so while I was a VC, I was a very different kind of a VC because I could never speak the language of a VC, right? I did not know the jargon, I used to speak in very dhanda kind of language and all that because that was my upbringing and hence I was a very bad VC. So, most of the guys who were good VCs did not like me because I was a bad VC. And the bad VCs anyways don't matter. So, when I actually went in, I actually even found it tough to get a single foot in the door. It's very tough to believe that you are a VC and you want to raise money from VCs, but you found it very tough to believe. So, I actually put my other co-founders ahead of me and and that's how we got meeting. So, it it was damn tough. Right. uh, But what's the... I also tell you why. I think I was one of the first two or three guys who actually moved on from being a VC to an entrepreneur. A Couple of them are in Gurgaon, me included, but it was damn tough, even for him.
0: But uh, is it only you who says that you were a bad VC? Or you just believe it, uh, others don't?
1: No, I'll tell you why I was a bad VC. Because frankly, as a VC, what do you need to do? As a VC, the playbook is very simple. You invest in 10, you succeed in max two. If you are great, you succeed in three. If you are, um, and the others need to fail. You need to have failures and and speak about it, right? And, but the two or three that succeed, they should be literally in double digit returns. Double digit, multiple returns, let's say 10 to 30x. The problem with me was that I was very dhanda-like. So what happened is, out of the 10 that I invested, I actually invested in exact 10, Mm -hmm. 7 succeeded, meaning 7 didn't lose money, in 3 we lost money. But the 7 that succeeded gave us returns between 2 to 5x. Okay, and hence I was not a great VC. They told me I was a great business guy, I was a great operator. But not a great reason. because that didn't fit the mold
0: but those were also times of you know non-techy hardcore yeah,
1: yeah. I, w- I was right? absolutely non-techy. I have
0: I've pulled some receipts to uh, to demonstrate that you are not as bad an investor as you say you were we have uh, we have a recording here from uh, from a friend of, uh, of Ashish's. he's uh, he was a founder of uh, Cloud nine hospitals and Ashish had invested in him so he has uh, during my conversation with uh, Rohit. Who is the founder of Cloud9? He said a few words about Ashish. Here goes. But it was actually Ashish um, okay. of off business uh, who was the chamatkari. Um, he's just I don't mind calling it out in public. He's mad. <laughs> he's mad uh, in a good way, man. <laughs> um, so it was Ashish who you know built that relatable equation. I had the opportunity of about four term sheets then. Uh, chose Matrix over everybody else because Ashish was that guy who was a complete enabler. So, you had actually convinced uh, a founder this is the
1: only company where I made more than 5x. <laughs> Fair enough.
0: <laughs> so, uh, you know, we'll come to the question of while we're talking about venture capital and investing, right? Uh, there's a lot of folks here who probably are not investing in startups or even think of startup investing as gambling, right? right? How many people here invest in startups? Just show me the. Uh, very few. How many people think that startup investing is gambling? Okay. okay. So that I was, <laughs> was going to preface this question, but uh, so tell us, right? Is startup investing a game of skill or a game of chance? Game of chance. Completely. Uh, out and out. Uh,
1: yeah. People who play it are always lured into the belief that it's a game of skill, but I can tell you because I've invested in more than thirty, thirty-five. It's purely a game of chance.
0: So why do it then?
1: Why? Uh, Because people love gambling, right? See, there are many vices in the world, right? So you can, I mean, you can chew tobacco. You can drink a lot. You can gamble as well. (laughs) I mean, it's it's a vice at the end of the day. People uh, need to have a vice. It's a very clean vice. At the end of the day, you know, if I if I'm chewing tobacco, people will tell me I'm mad because I'll have cancer one day, right? right? But uh, if you are a startup guy or investing in a startup guy
0: or an angel investor,
1: people will say, "Ah, okay." Great okay, advice.
0: Fair enough. Who do you think should then invest in startup and who shouldn't invest in startups?
1: If you ask me um, people who've run a startup or been in a startup, meaning that they've experienced it hands-on about what a what is a startup, typically should be the ones investing in startups. and others who do not have that experience, if they really want to do it, They should just double up up and make friends who have that profile and just follow them. I think that's the only way in which I have seen a trend of people making money. I have seen ex-founders actually um, being good startup investors and that that could be my microcosm. And people who just kind of, you know, uh, like all the guys who take tips from the Mumbai brokers, you know, uh, not all of them make money but the Surat guys do. That's a trend, right? So, similarly, if you follow uh, that profile of a person, you'll make money.
0: Fair enough. I'm going to extend this question a little bit because, you know, we're supposed to be speaking about the state of the startup ecosystem. And I'm going to say something from my very personal experience of running a fund. Uh, There's, of course, everybody's read about the funding winter and how companies are struggling to to raise capital and, and go on. It's not so. It's not so. It's not so? No, no, no.
1: From a funding perspective? Funding perspective, one, it is back. Mm-hmm. Second, I don't think the early startup ecosystem was that ba- badly hit. And three, I think the companies that are doing well, particularly from a profitability standpoint, have always had money.
0: That's true. Particularly debt. That's true. I think, uh, but what was happening was that uh, if you look at the normal econ 101 of things, right, when uh, liquidity is easily available, uh, there's the, yeah the valuations go up. There's more FOMO. So even if you are burning money to acquire a customer, and it's, it's it's there in the Excel that you will not be profitable. Somehow those senses have started to prevail. That's right. Right. Uh, but what's also happened from a fund manager perspective is that uh, the LPs, limited partners who invest into our funds, have started asking fund managers this very pointed question at this point. Uh, and it's not just with us. It's with a lot of fund managers. The the best ones included. Uh, which is that, you know, you commit money to us for 8 to 10 odd years. And uh, after that, after I take all the risk for a decade, firstly, I don't have any liquidity. You as a fund manager take 20%. Um, I pay another 20-25% in capital gains tax. So, if you don't have I will put in the So, my question here is that, uh, what do you think is the future of uh, of for, for venture capital funds, number one? And number two, there's been an exodus of capital which has gone out from these funds into uh, more liquid assets. Do you think that trend is here to stay?
1: No, see, frankly, these are cycles, right? Uh, If you look at it, I have been exposed to the startup ecosystem now for close to 15 odd years. Uh, Fundamentally, the way I think about it is that there are these three to four years of boom. And then there are these winters or busts for about one to two years. We are in the middle of a bust and hence your questions are like this. Right. right. Had you been in 2021, 20, the questions were very different because we, then we were in the you know back end of the boom. I think the cycles change. Nothing is going to, uh, I mean, all like all cycles of money. Uh, it's just that the cycles are much shorter out here. So if you take real estate, for example, real estate typically goes through 10 years of boom and then you have two years of bust. Right. But the reality is that the booms are not that uh, appreciable enough as compared to what you would see in a startup Boom and bust cycle. Startup boom and bust cycles are one shorter and two much more uh, higher peaks and much more deeper troughs. That's the way to think about it. So I don't think any of this is going to go away. What you are saying is very true right now as we speak and we are probably in the middle of that cycle wherein uh, everything is getting corrected, particularly from a startup standpoint. But there are very early signs to say that, you know, that the curve is going upward as well. Like, for example, uh, if you look at it, you look at the state of uh, the Indian public markets, they're just going up. Uh, if you look at the, um, you know, the lineup of IPOs right after the uh, general elections.
0: Absolutely, I think uh, something that you touched upon was that um, also that, you know, India has, uh, the reason that the uh, the public markets are doing reasonably well is because there's a lot of uh, macro tailwinds that India has going for, it, uh, for itself today, right? Uh, if you have to give a piece of advice to anybody in this room about basically leveraging that macro opportunity to make big money, not today, not tomorrow, but in the next 5 to 10 years, what would you suggest?
1: With respect to public markets or in general? Just in general. I think with respect to public markets first, just exit. <laughs> because you you would have made money in the last, whatever, a quarter, two quarters if you've been there. Uh, even if you've been in mutual funds, I'm pretty sure you're seeing annualized gains of anywhere between 25 to 30% at the bare minimum or else you are with the wrong uh, Advisor or you are a poor uh, investor yourself. So uh, on that you should exit. I think if you uh, If you look at the, the India story right The real force that is playing out and in a big way is this entire thing around China plus one or Southeast Asia plus one or for that matter some of the Middle East plus one or some of even North Africa plus one. A lot of that is playing out in India. If you ask me what is one big macro wave that is going to sweep this country going ahead is this big trend of saying that we are going to become the sec- if not the second, if not the first but the second choice of certain country. Like for example, if you take garments, we are becoming Vietnam plus one. Nobody wants to be in Vietnam because Vietnam wants to go up the value chain. Sri Lanka has gone away, so it's basically Bangladesh left. The next can be India, right? Um, If you are playing with something in plastic, then it's China plus one. If you are playing with something in metals, then it's again China plus one. So stuff. In my opinion, India is at a uh, at a current state where geopolitically and sociopolitically, we are at that stage where we will become the manufacturing destination of choice. And hence to figure out, depending on what you know and what ecosystems you belong to, if you can bet on that one big strategy, in my opinion, that asset class is just going to fly away. Now, how do you play that? Uh, supposing you are playing on a China plus one, you could be a manufacturer yourself. You could be an investor into a, uh, into some kind of a manufacturing enterprise or manufacturing set of institutions. Um, you could also build a career in a uh, in a manufacturing enterprises that, that kind of substitutes for China. You can play it in very many ways, but in my opinion, that's the big one. That, for example, if you look at what we are betting out in our um, in our company today, um, the extra dollars that we are running, the 100 million that you mentioned, 60-70% of that is actually going into betting into this. And as you know, one of my skills was to smell money. Right. And this is like really it's stinking. The first word
0: that comes to mind when I say entrepreneurship. It's it's damned up. Power or money? Money no amount of success in the professional realm can make up for failure in the personal life. Founders need to remember that.